a friend that I would say today that that dog don't hunt, and um, I've said it, so now let's actually get on to it. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you, you want to turn, feel free to. If you're not going to turn your Bible, um, it should be up on the screen in just a second. We're getting there. Awesome. Um, I know the last couple of weeks Rashad has preached. He has, repeat, he has preached on sin. He has preached on the consequences of sin. He's preached on any number of things associated with sin, and I know that's a difficult subject. I know that's a hard subject. As a pastor, it's a hard subject to preach because I'm going to be honest with you, nobody wants to hear it. Anyone here like to hear that you are wrong? Just go ahead, raise your hand, everybody that wants to know they are wrong. Nobody? Yeah. Uh, as pastor, it's not a fun thing to do ever, and yet it is our obligation to do so. It is our responsibility to do so. It's also our joy and our privilege to do so. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's the truth. Guys, God's word for us, not pastors, but all of us, God's word is what he uses to grow us. It's what he uses to mature us. It's what he uses to perfect us. When it's not fun, that's okay. We need it all the more. But when it's encouraging and when it's edifying, when it lifts us up, guys, that's a wonderful thing. Malachi chapter 1, we're, we're not taking it easy. We're building off what Rashad has preached the last couple of weeks because what he has preached has come from God. See, guys, this is a hard passage to preach. Um, I told the last service, I said, if you want to throw produce at me, that's fine, but you probably want to wait till the end of the service to throw it because that's when you're going to really, really want to lob it at me, okay? Uh, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau... Jacob's brother declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. The first thing I want you to understand is that God loves you. Listen, Malachi is Old Testament. Malachi is a minor prophet. It's not minor in its message or its impact or anything. It's minor because it's a smaller book of the Bible. So don't think you have to pay less attention to it. Malachi is a book that tells some warnings and some instructions God has for Israel. And really, there's a lot of negativity in this book. And when he does it, though, he starts off with a word of an encouragement, a word that reminds them that he loves them. He says, I have loved you. And guys, that statement is still true today. God loves you. You say, how in has he loved me? I'm glad you asked. And if you didn't ask, well... You get to hear it anyway. How in has he loved you? How about he sent his only son to die for you? The greatest gifts you've ever probably gotten in your life were gifts that required sacrifice. Gifts that required somebody to give of themselves. Time, effort, energy. Sure, that gift card was awesome. But what about that one-of-a-kind thing that somebody brought to you one time and they knew it was perfect for you? They searched high or low. They put effort and time into making it and you appreciate it and you will always appreciate it. I used to run an after-school program. I have one thing from that time that still remains. We had a preschooler who made this thing for me. And guys, it's preschool, so it's not the most beautiful piece of artwork you have ever seen. But he worked hard on it. And he gave it to me and it still sits there. Why? Because he took time and effort and energy in it. And it was a gift that meant so much. God sent his only son. Let that sink in. Who here has given your child for somebody else? Anybody? 
How in has he loved you? He loved you because he gave his son for you. Because he sacrificed his only begotten child so that you could have everlasting life. So that you could have a relationship with him. So that you could call him father. You could call him dad. You could be a part of his family. How in has he loved you? He gave his only son for you. But no, that's not the only thing. Listen, if you are here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what does that mean? That means you have called on him. You have placed your faith in him. Your trust in him. You have asked him to save you. He has given you something else wonderful and amazing. That is the Holy Spirit. The illustration I used earlier is I said, you think about your life. And the person that you have the closest relationship is most likely the person that you spend the most time with. You ever thought about it? I mean, that's the reality, right? For a lot of people, that's their spouses. For some people, it's their children. The person you spend the most time with is probably the closest relationship you have. You guys, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He is always there. In bad times, good, he's there. In bad times, he's offering you encouragement. He's offering you hope. He's giving you peace in a world that is turbulent and rocked by problems. In good times, he's there reminding you that all that you have is a blessing from God. All that you have is a demonstration of his grace and his love and his mercy. You have not just a Savior who died for you, but you have a spirit that dwells alongside you as a redeemed individual every day of your life. Always there beside you. And then the third one, you have a church. I know, I know, it's at this point that people usually audibly groan because they're like, a preacher's going to preach about church. I should have known. Listen, Scripture says God receives glory through the church. That's what it says. It says a lot of things about our relationship to one another. I want you to understand something. God's desire for you is to not view yourself as John Wayne, not view yourself as Batman, not view yourself as some hero who's going to be able to take on this world and the sin that's present in it and all the problems of it by themselves, but to rely on the brothers and sisters which God has given you in the church. Zach, you are my brother through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the reality of it. Jonathan, you're my brother in Jesus Christ. Christine, you're my sister. That is the reality of the relationship we have. And by the way, do you know who your closest relationship should be with? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the truth. That's the reality. If you say to yourself, I'm at church and I get nothing from it, I'm going to give you the first hard truth of this today. You aren't getting anything from church, then it's probably, no, I'm not going to say probably, it's most likely, no, that's probably not good enough either. It's definitely your fault. You say, already up there for a few minutes and he's blaming me? <laughs> if God gave you the church, if God gave you brothers and sisters, and you're not keeping with your brother and sister in Christ, then whose fault is that? You say, but you don't know what they did wrong. So Jesus says, forgive them. You say, yeah, but they've done it twice. And Jesus says, forgive them 70 times 7. If you're not getting anything from your church, it's because you choose not to. And by the way, church isn't about you. It's about bringing glory to God. 
how in has he loved me? He has loved you because he gave his son for you. Because he gives you a companion who is with you day and night, every day for the rest of your life when you have that relationship with him. And because he has given you brothers and sisters who will pick you up when you fall, who will teach you what you don't know, who will encourage you when you get discouraged. How in has he loved you? Listen, if you need more ways, see me after church and I'll list them for you. It's perfect love, isn't it? Nobody's ever going to love you like God loves you. My wife loves me. Guys, if she's put up with me this long, she has to love me. But she isn't going to love me like God loves me. As much as she will want to, as much as she will strive to, and she will try to be like our Savior and love like he does, she can never reach those heights of God's perfect love. That's the reality of it. There will come a day. There will come a day when we'll be as he is, and I'm looking forward to that day. But that's perfect love, isn't it? Now, before we move on, I've got to ask you all a question. Nod your head, say amen, lift your hand. I don't care what you do, but I want to make sure everyone here acknowledges this question. If you can answer it, yes, I want you to acknowledge you can answer it, yes. Today, do you know that God loves you? You know it, right? So when you walk out of here, you can't say God doesn't love me. Today, you told me you know it. Today, you told me you looked in the word of God and you saw it. God has said to them that he loves them. But I want you to notice what else here. He says in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And then he goes on and he says here what he's done for him. About the problems that Esau has and that God has allowed them to go through and to endure. And yet, verse 8, your own eyes shall see this and you shall see great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Because when everyone else was enduring problems and hardships, God was taking care of his own people. Now, I want you to notice, you know God loves you. But he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? It's a love lost, right? It's a love gone. Yeah, God loves them, but where's their love for him? Where is it? God says, I am due respect, I am due honor. I am do these things because I am your father. I am your Lord. And you don't give them to me. You do not give them. And Israel looks at him and they say, how have we despised you? How have we done that? Catch this. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Let me ask you a question. What are you giving God? Israel, at that time, they worship by bringing animals to sacrifice to God. And when they bring the animals that they sacrifice to God, they're supposed to bring the first of their flock, the best of their flock, the healthiest 
the nicest animals they have to offer are meant to be put on the altar as a sacrifice to God. They go find their prize-winning sheep and they bring it into the temple and they give it to God as a sacrifice. But what Israel ended up doing at this point in time, what Israel has done by the end of this, is they're giving God the rejects. We got tripod over here, the sheep missing one leg. Let's take him in and give him to God. We got this slick, sickly one here. He's not eating in weeks. Let's give him, not eating. Oh, my goodness, y'all. He's not eating in weeks. Let's give him to God. God can take him. Let's give him Jason's grammar, too. <laughs> Let's give God our leftovers. And God says, give that to your governor and see what he thinks. Husbands, give your wives your attention after everything else in the world and see how your relationship is. Wives, give your husband and your children what's left of your attention and your affection after you have given your work and everything else in the world that attention and affection and see what your relationship is like. Try to look at the IRS and say, I don't have any money left to pay you my taxes this year, but I do have a bag full of random change. Will you take that? And how is the IRS going to respond to you? And yet Israel says to God, here's our leftovers, we hope you like it. Let me ask you a simple question. What are you giving God? Are you giving God your best or are you giving God your leftovers? What everyone else would reject, that's what you're giving God. You're passing out at the end of the day because you forgot to say your prayers and you're so tired that your eyes close before you finish even having a moment with God. You think God should be happy with the last two minutes of your day. Sometimes it's 30 seconds and that's the end of it. You've gone and you've bought all the stuff you wanted, your new clothes, your new cell phones, everything else, and then at the end of the day you give God the change that's left in your pocket and you think God should be okay with that. You've given God... The relationship you have with your pastor, but you've not given him any of the relationships you have with your friends. You've given God that time of worship for one hour on a Sunday morning, but you've not given God anything else. I want you to understand something. I am not just preaching that same old do better, live better thing. That's not my intention here. My intention here is to get you to be honest with yourselves. You have said to God, you know that he loves you. You just told me that. You just said, yes, I know that. Now I want you to continue being honest with yourself. I don't know where you are, and I'm not judging anybody, but you've got to ask a question. What am I giving God? Am I giving God my leftovers, or am I giving God my first fruits? He deserves your respect and your honor. That's what he deserves. He deserves it because he is your Lord. Because he is your Father. Now this one's going to keep beeping on me and I'm going to have to start yelling, y'all. You're like, you're already doing that. It's fine. God deserves your first, not your leftovers. That's how you give him honor. That's how you give him respect. Romans paints the picture of our lives and our sacrifice to God in one term. You are a living sacrifice. 
It was once told to me, and I repeat it every chance I get. You know what the problem with the living sacrifice is? You have to stay on the altar. You ever think about that? The dead sacrifice is there until you're done with it, and then you get rid of it. But a living sacrifice is upon the altar for the rest of its life. What are you giving God? Your leftovers? Have you lost your love for him? Have you lost your desire to serve him? Have you lost your passion for him? He is due respect and he's due honoring. Are you giving him those things? I didn't warn y'all like I did the last service. We're going through the whole book of Malachi. So y'all just strap in. Y'all got a little ways to go still. Um, Malachi chapter 2. Verse 10. Do we all not all have one Father? And has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? The second point I want to get to you here is we've broken God's law. He asks, why do you profane the covenant? Why do you break the covenant? Actually, he says a couple of other things here. If you'll go ahead and flip to that next slide. Verse 17, we have wearied the Lord, or you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Two attitudes on display there. Two amazing attitudes on display there. Not amazing in how good they are, but in how negative they are. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. We are making what is wrong, right, and what is right, wrong. The second one is, where is the God of justice? There are those who say what is wrong is right, and there are those who say we have given up on God doing anything about it. Let that sink in. Israel was at a place where there were two prevailing opinions amongst the people, amongst the priests. What is wrong is right. And where is God to do anything about it? Listen, the second thing you have to understand here is that if you love God, you honor his law. You honor his word. Listen, I get it. I get that sometimes there are things written in here that it would be easier if, uh, for us if we did not have to abide by it. It would be easier for us in the world around us if we could just tell people that we agree with them about things being wrong or we agree with them about things that we don't like or we agree with them about whatever it is. But the reality is... We, if we are Christians, if we are redeemed, if Jesus is our Lord and our Master, if God is our Father in heaven, then we must agree with God. Right? We must agree with God. He says of these people that they have forsaken the covenant and that they have said what is wrong is right and where is the God of justice. I don't know where you stand on anything. Again, guys, it's not my place to judge. I don't know anybody. If you take offense by anything I am saying to you today, it is not meant as if I know you or have anything to do with you. I am preaching to you what God's word says, and if you have a problem with that, you have no problem with me. You have a problem with God. If you disagree with what God says is sin, you know what? That's just too bad. 
He will determine it to be sin, whether you agree with it or not. He will judge on it, whether you agree with it or not. He will stand by it, whether you agree with it or not. Do you honor God and respect God? Do you give to him what is his due? Then you must also agree with him about what he says. That's where faith comes into play. That's where obedience comes into play because what we want and what we think is easy and what we think is acceptable does not always agree with what God desires for us. If you love God, he says one thing. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I tell my children all the time, that's God's standard of love. But I also tell them, that if you love me, you will do what I ask of you. In return, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will never ask of you more than you can do, more than can be expected of you, more than you are able to handle. But if you love me, you'll do what I ask of you. And you know what? That's not my pattern. That's following the pattern of my father. That's following the pattern of God. God does not place upon us any more than we can handle, but all he expects of us is if we love him, to obey him. We may not make it, Jason. Um, let's look at chapter 3. Uh, I think our slides got out of place there somewhere. Um, Oh, no, we just didn't put it all there. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of, of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And by the way, the mix-up was mine. I'm sorry about that on the slides. Um, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How in have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. And you're like, yep, it's a preacher. He's preaching about money. I'll make a comment about it, but that's not the intention here. If you think about it, how did he start off the conversation? He said, you don't give me respect, you don't give me honor. Those are two things do me by, by virtue of the relationship. That is the general expected rule of every relationship between a parent and child everywhere. Between a master and their servant throughout history. I know we don't use those terms anymore, but that's the reality of it. Is that there is honor and respect that is inherent in that relationship. It's a part of it. Why do we gripe so much about teenagers? Because we feel like they lose all their honor and respect. Right, parents? I mean, that's the reality of it. <laughs> The ones with teenagers are very loud at responding right now. <laughs> the thing is, when you get to this point, it's not just that you don't give me my honor and my respect due. And by the way, he is God. He is deserving of it. Yes? He says, not only are you not giving me my respect, not only are you not giving me my honor, he said, but you're robbing me. Remember, when God established his system with them, the obligation was that they bring their tithes and their offerings into the storehouse. And by the way, because God is a God of reason, God is a God of rationale, God is a God who understands systems and has purposes, there was a reason for that. 
The tithes and the offerings became the inheritance of the Levites in a lot of instances. But there is this expectation of offering that demonstrates that they know something about God's plan for redemption. It's a beautiful thing. If you've not spent much time looking at it, I encourage you to do so. But he says, you have robbed me and that you have stopped keeping your obligation. What was to be God's, you're not giving him. Listen, if you're not giving God tithes and offerings, that's only one area, one aspect of it. Yeah, that's part of it. If you feel like tithing is great and that's enough and that's good, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm glad that you're tithing. But just remember that when they tithe, they didn't just tithe their income. They tithe their possessions as well. So if you're willing to go and sell one-tenth of your land and give that to God, if you're willing to go and sell one-tenth of your livestock and give that to God, or if you've got ten cars, one of your cars, and give that to God, that's great. We don't live according to that standard anymore. We give sacrificially and grow in this grace also. We want a world, we want a religious system within that world that makes it easy on us. God wants 10%. All i got to do is look at my check and move the decimal place one, play, or one spot over, and I'm good to go. That's all he'll ever expect of me. That's all he'll ever want of me. And the reality is God wants all of you. God wants every last bit. You've done the math, and in a week there are seven days and 24 hours, and you're crunching the numbers, and you're like, if I'm at church for one hour on Sunday, an hour and a half this Sunday because the preacher won't be quiet, um, and I'm at church, my 5-9 group for an hour this week, then how much do I have to give God to give 10% of my hours in a week? Some of you are like, if I am too tired to do this so many days of the week, then do I have to go to church on Sunday because I'm already too tired. And the reality is, is that God says you're robbing me. What is mine, you're not giving me. What is mine is not mine. You've held it back for yourself. You say, Jason, why is that fair? It's a really simple answer. You're going to love it. Because he is God. If you want greater elaboration, I can give it to you. Um, he gave his only begotten son for you. How's that? Because every good thing, every wonderful thing, every blessing you have, all that you get in this life is from him. He gave it to you in the first place. Why is he owed a sacrifice from you? Because it all belongs to him in the first place. And he gave it to you. Listen. When you look at what's going on with Israel, the long and the short of it is he's saying, listen, you've lost your love. You've lost your love for me. And it's, it's easy, I think, for us sometimes to walk down a path without realizing that that's exactly where it leads to. Malachi chapter 4, he gives him a warning. I want to read this warning, then we're going to shift gears for a second. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chafed, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. God is promising judgment in the day to come. Listen, sin has its consequences. That's the reality. If you don't like it, take it up with God. We've already discussed that, right? See point two. 
That's the reality of it. But in the next verse, he says this. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Southern boy, raised rural, not raised in the city. Uh, I've seen new livestock. There's a joy and a sense of energy that they have that as a 40-year-old man, I know I'm not there yet, Jace, you can correct me later. Um, as a 40-year-old man, guys, there are days I wake up and I do not want to get up and do anything. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And there are people here far older than me, I know. I'm not going to point any of them out, okay? You don't have to worry about that. But he says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. And half of you are like, I am too dignified to skip. <laughs> I get it. Don't worry, it's imagery. There comes a day when we're going to be renewed. There comes a day when all that is wrong in this world and all that has been wrong with us, whether it be illness or mental problems or whatever they may be, when it's all going to be renewed. That's beautiful. He starts it by saying, I love you. And then he gives him a harsh reprimand. And then he ends it by saying, because I love you, there will be a day in which I renew you, in which I strengthen you, in which I make you whole. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, Revelation. This is still relevant today. What he said to Malachi still applies to us today, and I'm going to tell you why, because we find a New Testament example of what God said applying to a church in modern times. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And by the way, I do not like that translation of the word spit. I told the last service, it is the other thing that comes out of our mouth when we are sick that this word usually refers to in the Greek. Um, I will vomit you out of my mouth is the better one. We've sanitized it for modern readers because they don't like those terms. Next verse. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here's the reality about Christians in America, by and large. I'm not, again, attacking anybody specifically, any church specifically. Guys, I don't know y'all. I, I wish I did know y'all. I wish I had close relationships with you guys, but I don't. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way that God has led our path. So it's not about you. If God is dealing with you, you take that to heart. You have at Laodicea a group of people who are wealthy. Rashad is going to India. And I'm telling you right now that the, that the, that the poorest in this congregation today is probably far wealthier than the majority of the people in India. I told him earlier, if I'm wrong, I will eat that later. Y'all can call me back up here to correct it. We are doing great. You probably have five different streaming services on your phone or at home on your TV. Your kid probably has at least one, two, three possible video game systems. 
Maybe your kid's gone two, three nights a week to play different sports and different activities. Maybe you've got a bass boat, and maybe you've got a ski boat. Maybe you've got all these different things at your home, at your house, that, like, they demonstrate a level of wealth. And you're like, yeah, but I don't drive a, a Tesla, or I don't have a Porsche, or my house isn't 3,000 square feet, or whatever it is that you view as your terms of wealth. And you're like, listen, I know what the problem is. I'm just moving it too much. It's hard not to talk with my hands, y'all. I have to do this. You're like, my, I am not wealthy by my own standards. And what you ignore is that God has already given you more than most people have. And I'm not even talking spiritual blessings. If you drove in here today, you're doing pretty well. If you got meals every day to eat, you're doing pretty well. If you got clothes on your back, you're doing pretty well. But the thing is, is if you're doing that well, there's this temptation within you to stop relying on God. To stop counting on God. There's this temptation within you when things are going great to seek your own satisfaction first, right? To seek your own happiness first. Laodicea says, I'm rich. Become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And so because I have need of nothing, I don't turn to God in times of sorrow. I don't seek what God wants for me in times that are good. I don't obey God because God's clearly satisfied with where I am. Look at all that I have. Guys, your wealth doesn't tell you how happy God is with you. Do you understand that? How good or bad you are doing is not an indication of how pleased God is with you. Listen to me. Laodicea says we don't, we don't have any need. And God says, you don't even realize that you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, and you're in a wretched condition, in a wretched state. He says to him, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he gives him one last verse in this section. There's more to it. I'm not reading it all. But he says, those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Every parent here knows that you have to discipline your child. How you get there, what you do, different opinions, different people, different perspectives. My parents believed that whooping a kid was absolutely a necessity, and so they did it a couple of times, and it was enough for me to learn not to do it again. Um, but I told them earlier that that wasn't the worst discipline I ever received. The 30-minute lectures from my father when I did wrong were perhaps the harshest discipline that I have ever received in my life from anybody. I told my oldest yesterday, I said, my dad knew how to chew me out, and he did it well. <clears throat> now y'all are thinking I got in trouble all the time. I'm not going to answer here or there on that. <clears throat> if you love your kid, you correct them. Right? You discipline them. Right? Then doesn't it make sense that if God loves us, he would correct us? And he would discipline us? So I want to ask you another question now. If God loves you, then he should correct you. Then he should discipline you. Yes? Yes? 
you now have answered two questions for me in the affirmative. That God loves you, and that if he loves you, he must correct you. So when you walk out of here, if you walk out of here and you say, you know what? Not a thing that preacher said matters to me. If you walk out of here today, you go home, you go to sleep, and you forget it tomorrow, I remind you today that you said, you know God loves you and that he must correct you. I remind you of that so that you keep that in the forefront of your mind. When you leave here and God places expectation upon your life, he is owed. He is due our honor and our respect. That is the reality of it. He is due for us to agree with what he says is right and what he says is wrong. That doesn't simply mean for us to acknowledge it, but it means for us to live by it too. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. But it also means that we are to give God what is his each and every day of our lives. If y'all will, please stand. Let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day and for the many blessings that you've given us. For this chance to come together to worship you, Lord, we're just so thankful. Lord, we'd ask that as we, as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds, Lord, that we would understand that you are due our honor and our respect, that, Lord, you are due for due all that we are to live according to you and to your word, that, Lord, we would be obedient to you in all things. Lord, let it be that your people today would say that you are right. Let it be that we would say that we will live according to what you have said is right. Let it be that we will live in such a way that in everything you are shown and you are demonstrated. Lord, let it be that each and every one of us here would not do it from a place of necessity, that, Lord, we would not do it from a place of fear, but that, Lord, each and every one of us here would do it from a place of love. Because you have loved us and given your Son for us. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, let it be that today they would place their faith and their trust in you, that they would call upon you, and that, Lord, you would just see obedience from your children. We thank you for all that you have done for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.
All right. As we go home, I want you guys to think about the time we waste. All right. I have a friend who, if he watches a football game for four hours, he studies the Bible for four hours. And so, yes, that's, that's dedication to the Lord. And that's how he feels about everything he does free time-wise is he's got to give that much time back to God. So just challenge yourself this week. Look at the time that we waste on Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, TikTok. What else do you kids listen to do? Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff, right? Uh, all right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you guys so much for being here. Make sure you encourage the teens, encourage Jason and Jonathan and everything that they're doing down in Plainfield. Dear God, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the time that we could come, set aside, and worship your name. Lord, we just ask that uh, this message will sit on our hearts heavy. Lord, that uh, we will see that we need to do more for you. Lord, we just ask that as we go home, you keep us safe. Lord, we ask that you help us to have a great week. Lord, we just love you. Lord, we just ask that uh, you continue to be with us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.